Disney Vault Talk presents Rebel Yell. Star Wars Rebels discussion and commentary. With your hosts, Teresa Delgado and Steve Lawson, and a few surprises along the way. And now, Disney Vault Talk's Rebel Yell. That's right, Rebel Yell is back after being gone for just a little while, as uh, Rebels was gone for a little while, and we're talking two episodes on this episode, or really it's just one episode, it's Trials of the Darksaber and Legacy of Mandalore, and as uh, our good friend Blessed Cheesemaker puts it in the chat at Mixler.com slash Goliverse, it's just one big episode with a month-long commercial break, and that's really kind of how it feels when you watch these two back to back they really pair up together as they're supposed to and do so very well my name is steve glosson glad to have you along with us here on rebel yell uh for these episodes to talk about these episodes looking forward to getting into it and with me to help do this is my brother from another mother ladies and gentlemen air shernavice hey brother what's up my brother how are things good Good. I am excited to finally get to talk about these couple episodes of Rebels. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know we've been putting the one off for a little bit, but uh, there's been things, and uh, our thoughts and prayers, of course, are with Teresa and her yes, family and the loss in the loss of her grandfather over the past week, and uh, uh, and she's been talking about a little bit on social media and stuff. So that's uh, so they're still dealing with stuff from that, and so I hope you'll keep her and her entire family. In, in your thoughts, her mother is always very active with us when we're doing stuff in the chat and that sort of thing, Mama Lo. And so I know you, I know they appreciate your thoughts and, and prayers during this time. Also, and, and, and I, I just, I just want to say, if you have a chance to, to go on and read any of the links Teresa's posted about her grandfather, I, I highly recommend that you do so. What an impressive man this man was. Yeah, yeah very impressive, very accomplished, and very respected in in uh, not just Austin, the Austin, Texas area, but but all did of Texas, yeah. Did a lot of yeah. good for a lot of people. Yes, he did. He sure did. Good man, and uh, and he will be missed uh, by many people, but especially his family. So uh, that's where she's at. In case you're wondering, and but we are not alone, Erish and I. We have with us. I said it off air, and I'm going to say it on air. We have with us some sci-fi royalty. Ladies and I gentlemen, I feel like that we need to do the Wayne's world. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not. We're not, worthy. Yeah. <laughs> We're not worthy. Um, <clears throat> let me just uh, just quickly run down. I'm not going to hit all the credits, but I, that Eric sent me. But I'm going to hit a few that are that are pertinent to us. Uh, the Servant of the Empire series for kids that uh, followed um, uh, the kid we met in uh, in in the episodes where where Ezra in, infiltrated. What's that kid's name? Uh, Zare. Zare Leonis and um, those those books, which are called Edge of the Galaxy, Rebel in the Ranks, Imperial Justice, Secret Academy, 
Uh, he the weapon the TFA related books, Force Awakens books he's done, The Weapon of the Jedi, co-wrote Moving Target with Cecil Castellucci, uh, the TFA Incredible Cross Section, Ray's Survival Guide, and I saw so many people uh, gleaning so much information from Ray's Survival Guide, Star Wars Complete Locations, uh, Rebel Dossier, The Secret Mission, uh, Rogue One related books. Uh, on sale February 28th, under a week from now, Darth Vader Sith Lord backstories. Also, uh, the space fantasy saga Jupiter Pirates was written for young adults, published by Harper Collins, Hunt for the Hydra, Curse of the Iris, Rise of the Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, with us is Mr. Jason Fry. Jason, welcome to the show, sir. Oh, thank you so much. There's, there's no way I'll ever live up to that introduction, but it's very nice to be with uh, you both. So thank you so much. Well, it's very nice to have you, and we appreciate you taking the time to uh, to do this and and talk the wars with us. Absolutely, and and two such exciting episodes as well that that really, as you noted, are essentially one big one, which is is a lot of fun and something new to explore. Well, now, Arish, when when Arish told me he wanted to bring you on, it really came down to this idea of um, because these are very Mandalorian heavy episodes and and he said that you'd be great to have on to talk some Mandalorian stuff. Is that true or was Arish overselling it? Well, I do have some Mandalorian experience, <laughs> it's true. Going back to um, whether it's adapting the uh, the Darth Maul Mandalore series mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, right. which was an enormous amount of fun to do, or even before that, when uh, the Essential Atlas that I wrote with Dan Wallace mm-hmm. came out, um, that book had such a long gestation period that we were able to include uh, some of the changes to Mandalore and Mandalorian society that had come about from the Clone Wars which was, at the time, was, was a little tricky, took a lot of coordination with Lucasfilm, uh, trying to hit a moving target, not to plug half of, my, of another book of mine. Um, but, you know, it wound up being, being a terrific experience and uh, a fun thing to get to do and be kind of on the front lines, as it were, of, um, of uh, presenting the Mandalorian history that Clone Wars would then explore. So mm-hmm. it's great fun. It's been fun to be part of that on the creative side, but it's also really fun just to sit get, sit back and watch it like uh, we have with these last two Rebels episodes. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the Darth, Ma- the Darth Maul. You did Shadow Conspiracy, right? Yeah, that's right, adapting those adapting those four episodes. And, and really what was, was fun about that, besides the obvious, was it was a chance to, uh, to go a little farther here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the episodes themselves, and of course, you know it's Mandalorian society, and that was that was a, a terrific thing to get to dig into. Right. Yeah. Well, um, let's uh, let let's do this, Aries. Let's start out, uh, and let's try to backtrack the the dark saber because the the first of these two episodes, and and we're as we said, we're going to take them all as one big one, but we'll just go ahead and and the first part of this big episode, the first part of these two episodes was all about Sabine learning to use and wield the Darksaber. Um, so we got to really track this thing. <laughs> well, but the, the, so the interesting thing, I mean, we saw earlier in the season and uh, the, the Darth Maul episode mm-hmm. on Dathomir that, right. that they found the Darksaber. Yeah. Um, brought it back. But did Maul, and, 
Maul had that? Did he receive that on on Mandalore back during that time with uh, Vizsla and everything? Now, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch the the Mandalore Clone Wars episode. I haven't either. I I, I haven't watched it in a while. I think I'm going to try to do it this weekend because, unfortunately, Clone Wars is leaving Netflix streaming in a couple weeks. Yep. So it's like cram the good episodes in that you can right now. Yeah, which means you um, have to. Which means you have to start getting up and walking to your Blu-ray player to replace the disc from. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maul, Maul use Jason. Please correct me if I'm wrong here. Didn't Maul wield the dark saber during the the big Mandalorian Civil War episodes in Clone Wars? Yeah, that's right. He kills uh, Prey Visla. Okay. and takes it. And therefore becomes the leader um, of the clans, um, which uh, you haven't seen those, Erich? I have. It's just, I, it's no, been I a have while. Se- I have seen them. It's just been since they yeah. first aired. Since, uh, and here, here's another place where having Jason on tonight is brilliant because Jason literally wrote the episode guides for the Clone Wars. Oh, <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The. Uh, the yeah, those episodes are all so much fun, but the fight in, I think it's the Lawless, that saber fight, I think it's one of the high points of the Clone Wars. It's just, it's is, just so terrific. Is that the one with um, Maul? Is that the one with Maul and Oppress and Sidious? Uh, that's the next one. The the Lawless, if I'm thinking of the right episode, is is Visla and Maul. Oh, okay. And um, oh, it's pretty great. I'll, I'll tell you a, a funny, quick story about it too. Is it was a big lesson for me about Clone Wars and adapting that because, um, you know, the script for that, for that, for that adaptation, I was working off the scripts, not the finished episodes. And for the script was essentially, you know, they fight. And that was really kind of it. And um, watching it, you know, I had no idea what to expect. And um, it was a, a lesson in just how improvisational uh, that show was, and how, you know, those scenes were really a, a collaboration between, you know, the writers and the art director and the director and everybody else, just kind of putting ideas in the mix. And um, that would happen a lot. You'd have, you know, an episode, but then you'd only kind of guess at it as sort of the outline of what would would come visually and in terms of action in the episode. So um it was that was kind of fun so it was it was really fun to adapt from the script but then it was just as much fun to sit back and actually see uh how it took shape on the screen as a fan that's funny because i remember hearing george lucas maybe it was lucas in an interview i feel like it was him talking about some of the lightsaber battles and how he's like you know when you're writing all you have to do is write they fight and (laughs) And then, you know, you have stump people to kind of work all that out. Um, <laughs> I've never thought about that in animation situations, that in a script it would just be they fight. But I guess that that's how it would have to go, though. I guess it'd be yeah, up to the was... animators to and Filoni themselves to sit down and work out all the details and intricacies there. Sure. And one thing I like about, uh, one thing I like to talk about for adaptations is there are advantages and disadvantages to them. I mean, the advantages are you can actually go in people's heads in a way that mm-hmm. you can't do on the screen, and you can use people's histories and other things like that uh, to help you tell a story. I mean, the disadvantage is just, you know, you're missing, you don't have music, you don't have visuals, and you can recreate that in some ways, but, you know, it's not 
going to compete with a giant TV or a movie screen. Right. So I, I found that there were really, I, I think I found every conceivable way to, you know, discuss parrying and slashing of lightsabers <laughs> and everything else, and then just sort of hoped it looked kind of like whatever would be on the screen. But uh, they really broke the mold with that fight featuring the dark saber. Oh, a, yeah, I've got to go a back. Great and, sign of what was to come. I've got to go back. I'm like Eric. I need to go back and rewatch those because I haven't watched them in a long time. So the dark saber. Well, and also, based on these two episodes, I get a sense that some of that from those Clone Wars episodes is going to come back to us again. You it know, does with, feel that way. Yeah. Well, you know, also the, just the the dark saber is just is just so cool. Like I almost um, when I was writing about it, just the you know the way it kind of sucks in light and makes that weird sort of howl. Like, mm-hmm. I saw it as sort of Star Wars Stormbringer from the old uh, Michael Moorcock books and would, you know, kind of have the characters think about that and then kind of kind of stare into the blade a little bit. So in these episodes, it was it was just it was so much fun for me to see Sabine kind of looking at it sort of the same way. Right. Well, and so so Maul then had that on his person from that point until I mean, like, well, it, well, they Sabine finds it in Maul's hovel you know, on Dathomir. Yeah, his little yes, yeah. yeah, amongst all of his other little artifacts and mm-hmm. trinkets and mementos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she finds it and brings it back. And then we cut into this episode and we find out that basically she's ignored it since she's brought it back. And you know, it starts with Kanan asking uh, Fen Rao. You know, showing it to him and then getting the history from Fen Rao, which was just that was one of the coolest things I was going to say they've done on the show. Probably one of my favorite moments of of the episode that that first part that that was that animated se- sequence in shadow on the wall there. Um, did it remind you guys the style and everything? And and this may be just me digging way too much and looking way too much into it. But did did it remind you guys at all of that? Gendy Tartakovsky style um, of animation from like the Clone Wars micro series and Samurai Jack and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I thought the exact same thing. I remembered just for, yeah from Anakin's dream sequence. Absolutely had the same thought. Yep, yep. Uh, it, it was really it was a cool thing, and it was almost suddenly like they were sitting there by firelight. Like you forgot during that sequence that they were on uh, on a on a ship on the Ghost. Because of how, how it just kind of there was almost a flicker to what was going on as you watch it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's almost by firelight, but it's a really cool sequence, chronicling the whole history of the dark saber and 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 how it came about. And you know, you find out it was a Mandalorian Jedi, which I know that just made a thousand fanboys and fangirls yeah, all just. Of us nerds were like, <laughs> That's the most amazing thing to ever imagine. There will be Jason. I'm, uh, you know, I know you can't say it, but we're just going to go ahead and say you've been you've been tapped to uh, to write some book now chronicling the first Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> well, from from Wait, your yes. uh, from your mouth to uh, the power that be. There you go. That would, be, that would be a huge honor and a lot of fun. I would totally read that. Yeah. Well, the Mandalorians. I mean, this whole. We've not, though we've had Sabine Erish with us for the entire series, we've not really 
talked a lot about the Mandalorian culture, except those moments where we've we've touched into it and, and how it's such a big deal in fandom. And this is where I think I kind of part ways with fandom a little bit is I've never, as long as it propels the story of the characters I'm interested in forward, I'm cool with getting into the Mandalorian stuff. But I don't seek out Mandalorian for Mandalorian's sake, the way that a lot of fans do, based on, you know, the original that we all know and love, Boba Fett, who now we understand is not a true Mandalorian, I guess. But right. um but man, this is what is it about this whole society that's captured people's imagination over the years? Is it just the cool outfits? I think that's part of it. I think that it's um you know, Jason, help me out here. I think there's like a uh, there's like a nobility to them. Um, I, I'll be honest. I'm one who look. I am a, the Fet is my guy, but I've I've always separated him from being like it's just been about him to me mm-hmm. and not part. And even in the, like the the latter EU books where he became the leader of Mandalore and stuff like that, like that just kind of that wasn't the character that I fell in love with. Yeah. And so I, I'm not one who's dove heavily into the Mandalorian culture. You know, I didn't read the Karen Travis books, which were very popular and a lot of people love them. Um, you know, for me, it's always just been the fat and then kind of, you know, the Mandalorian culture was separate from that mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. I, th- I think um, it, you're absolutely right. It starts with the, the cool outfit. I mean, it always starts with the cool outfit, and that's one of the best ones in the saga, I think. I mean, just immediately iconic from the first time we saw it in the holiday special, even. Um, but it goes from there. I, I think people really respond to this kind of samurai uh, tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this idea of codes and customs, and um, you know, that are are hard to understand, and um, you know, kind of family and winning a place into it. Um, you know, what I think is, is one thing that's very interesting about it is that, I mean, yeah, Karen Travis did, did a wonderful job in her books, um, exploring that. And a lot of fans responded to that. Um, but you know, you, you also see it in the show that, you know, that she kind of took it in one direction and the, um, and Star Wars since then has incorporated some of that and paid, paid homage to some of that while also taking it in different directions, but it's all still there. And I think that's what people respond to. Um, you know, plus it's just, let's be honest, it's just really fun to nerd out about everything from, <laughs> you know, the gear and knowing the names of uh, the various weapons and the various uh, armor parts, which was also a fun thing to hear called out uh, in the first episodes to, you know, even um, taking some of the basics of, of the invented language, which you, we heard in the second episode. So, yeah. You know, no matter who you are, is you know, you can be a fan who just responds to, you know, the dented helmet and the clinking of spurs, or you can be a fan who you know tries to learn a little uh, Mandoa, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. But you know, wherever you are, kind of on that fan spectrum, there's something about Mandalorians is going to appeal to you. Well, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm going to invoke the other franchise. Oh, here. great! Yeah, here we go. <laughs> but. Uh, Mandos to Star Wars is kind of like Klingons to Trek. Yeah, I was about to say that, and right down to the fact that people learn the Mandalorian language, and I don't know how I feel about that. I have a, 
I, 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 look, I, it's, it's fun. It's cool. If that's your thing, I'm all for it. I love seeing the Mandalorian mercs at the cons and stuff, and they've all got the amazing armor, and they they all troop together, and they got like the parents have their little kids in armor and everything. I think it's like so cool, and I'm always, you know, I always stop to take pictures and talk to them and stuff. I love it. You know, they, they, yeah. that that's their thing. But you know, to me, like I said earlier, it's just it, it's just about the fat, and I don't see the fat as being part of that culture. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm a proud honorary Mandalorian merc, for which I'm I'm very grateful. Um, but yeah, it's ex- it's exactly that. Just in what Eric said. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm terrible at languages. I've struggled enough with just the one, so I'm not really gonna break out a, a Mandoa dictionary. That's not really my thing. But you know, for people who love doing it, that's that's fabulous. That's great. And then you know, folks like Eric who. You know, for whom it's the Fed and that's enough. Well, you know, the show speaks to them too. And uh, but always a great, always great fun, and uh, always part of Star Wars. Whether people kind of dip a toe in it or you know dive way, way down into the depths. Well, as we dive into the depths of the Mandalorian culture, where that's kind of where we're slung back around to here, is as Sabine now has to because she's come into possession of the dark and I guess because of her family and her name, Finn Rao thinks that if she'll go ahead and wield that thing and be the possessor of it and use it, that she can unite uh, unite the clan. She's the William Wallace of the Star Wars universe. She's the William Wallace of the Mandalore. She can unite, unite us. She unite can, the clans. She can unite the clans. And uh, I and love so that you just invoked Braveheart. No problem. I love that movie. Um, so so you have a situation here where now Sabine has to face her past and her culture. And in doing so, uh, we find out a lot about Sabine. It's something we've been wanting, or I know, I, I, let, let me not do the we, let me just say I've been wanting uh, for a I little while. I think we all, I think Rebels fans have all been wanting to see this. But I think we're, we're kind of glossing over an interesting little thing here, is that it's it's Hera that pushes her into this. Hmm. You know, because Hera basically tells her, if you can unite the Mandos, we can go to Lethal with an army of Mandos behind us. Mm-hmm. You know, Sabine doesn't want anything to do with the, the Darksaber. She doesn't want anything to do with it. She doesn't want to go back to her clan. She just wants to, like, you know, keep doing her thing. She's trying to put this off as much as she can. But Hera puts this big guilt trip might be the wrong word but puts the pressure on her and then Kanan kind of steps in and backs her up backs Hera up and so Sabine almost doesn't have a choice here Mm -hmm. well she for what whether she has a choice or not she goes ahead and starts training and or Kanan decides to train her to be able to use the dark saber and there's a couple of things that happen in the midst of that one of the interesting things is that Kanan encourages her to be aggressive, be e aggressive, and and this and this surprises Ezra uh, because he's like I didn't think he's supposed to tap into those feelings, and he's like, well, she's not a Jedi, she's not using the Force. Um, is this a wise move on his part, Jason? I mean, is this something that is that is that a Jedi thing, even for a non Jedi? To even when you're talking to a non Jedi, I say, yeah, go ahead and use your aggressive feelings. Well, that was one thing I loved about that episode so much is that it's um, it's messy. 
in some interesting and I thought pretty realistic ways. Um, you know, there's that flash of real anger when, you know, when uh, Sabine turns the Mandalorian weapons on Kanan. And Kanan basically reminds her the Jedi won that war. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's real anger there. And some of his uh, training techniques and Ezra's reaction to him, as you note, and even, you know, the character moments between him and Hera, when Hera finally says, this isn't, isn't about you. Um, that was one thing, just from a storytelling perspective, that I really admired about that episode is, is yeah, the, the through line is Sabine's training and the emotional heart of it is that moment where Sabine kind of opens up about her past and is ready to confront it. But, you know, it's not, none of the other characters are reduced to bystander status in that. They're working on their own stories too. So you have all these, these terrific moments, including ones, you know, that, as you know, we're not quite sure how to feel about. And that's, you know, that's that's a really interesting part of, of the way they've told stories in an episodic way in this show that I really enjoyed. Hmm. You mentioned the uh, you mentioned the the Mandalorian weapons that Finn Rao gives her that gauntlet. Um, Erish being a lover of the Fett, I mean, like this screamed Boba Fett's gauntlet. To oh, me. yeah. Yeah, definitely. The you know, the it, it granted the Fett had the rope, but the laser whip that kind of comes out of it. The uh, you know in the second episode we see her shooting flames out of it. Yeah, the van braces were awesome, and also the the explanation of why he's giving them to her that the Mandalorians developed these to counter the skills of the Jedi. You know, so they right. were designed to kind of mimic some of the abilities that the Jedi had, which I thought was just you know it's it, it's almost one of the brilliant things about the this. You know, the episode 15, the first of these two that Filoni, Filoni wrote, the first one, is there's all just these little single lines throughout it that could easily just be a line of dialogue. But we're so deep inside the onion in this episode with all of these characters that these single lines have so much more meaning to it. And, you know, this one line about giving her the vambraces, you get kind of all this history in this one line too that was so cool Mm -hmm. yeah and well and then the counter to that is what jason brought up is that you know the jedi won even with these gimmicks even and and i think i think kanan calls them tricks you know that even with these tricks we still won the jedi still won and um and and so it's it's interesting that she's getting under kanan's skin he's getting under her skin and Ezra sits back, and once again, Ezra finds himself in this position to not necessarily be the voice of reason, but he's the level-headed one. When did that happen? <laughs> you know, he's... Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was good. No, it's... um, it's. I, I think you bring up something I thought was great here. Is Yeah, you're right. Peeling the onion is a perfect description, is that, you know, one of the things we dealt with in the Atlas was that the Jedi and the Mandalorians had fought a war and the outcome of it was, you know, the Mandalorians didn't just lose. The planet was reduced to basically lifeless white sand. So, I mean, it went really poorly for Mandalore and, you know, you don't need to know that watching that episode. You can just take, uh, that, that little tense moment between Sabine and, and Kanan for what it is and you're just fine. But, you know, if you know the history when Kanan says the Jedi won that war, you think, well, 
yeah, they basically glassed the planet. And so there's a, a depth there that rewards veteran fans too. And yeah, that's um, that's one of the things that, you know, it, it seems effortless when Dave Filoni does it, but it's far from effortless. It's the hmm. result of a lot of hard work uh, for us to enjoy. Well, the culmination... Well, it, Go ahead, Irish. I was going to say, Steve, you brought up the Ezra being the voice of reason. I, I actually think it's Hera who is the voice of reason. That's true. That's true. In, in this episode, there is, you know, a number of times where she just flat out questions how Kanan's training her. You know, and there's a great line about when he mentions the training sabers and her response is, you mean those sticks that you and Zeb made? (laughs) (laughs) But then she has a point, like, you didn't make Ezra train with sticks. Like, he got to use the lightsaber. Why aren't you letting Sabine use it? And she's a number of times throughout the episode, you see her having the conversation with Kanan where she's questioning why he's training Sabine differently than he did Ezra. And, you know, and I just thought that, again, this is us deep inside because of all, you know, we're now what third season rebels here. We've got all this history with these characters where it's starting to pay off in episodes like this, where, of course Ezra would question him on that and of course she would like want to know why he's doing it differently and stuff and I just that's why this this episode 15 this first of this two-parter is one of my favorite episodes of the show so far is that all of this character building that we've seen throughout the series I felt really paid off big time in this episode yeah I I agree with that and but I do you know I know what Kanan said, and I guess we have to take what he said at face value, but why did he go easy on her to start? Why did he use those sticks that he and Zeb made to start out with? Why is it, was it that he was scared for her safety or, or was he, did he sense that she wasn't really ready to go through with it? What, what was the deal? What's the deal with the sticks? It's a great question, and I love the fact that there isn't. It's something we're free to argue about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there is a definitive answer there. Um, you know, yeah, I think those things are true. Um, you know, Kanan says, you know, Kanan admits to Hera he's been kind of struggling with how to teach. But you know, I think there's also probably an element of she's not a Jedi. You know, that she as a as a combatant is somehow you know, less than we are and therefore is going to be trained differently. I mean, you can, you can see all those things in there and and none of them is necessarily the one answer, which is terrific. And for me is a sign of, you know, frankly, of mature storytelling that we can, you know, we can have a good natured argument about Mm -hmm. it and possibly all be right, which is fun. (laughs) Well, and I think part of it might be Ezra was eager and willing Whereas Sabine is, she's more reserved and, you know, uh, she's she's going along with this, but she's not eager or willing. And, and maybe that plays into his mindset also. Yep. You know, and also it's, it's possible just there's, it's him wanting to protect her as well. You know, he tells her that, if you're gonna, if you're gonna hold the dark saber, you have to be ready to wield it. You got to be able to. People are gonna try and take it from you, 
And I think part of him doesn't want her to be in that position where she's going to be challenged all the time for this because she doesn't have force abilities, you know, and he's giving, he's going to teach her how to use a lightsaber without her having the extra abilities granted by the force to wield it. And maybe that's part of his hesitancy also. But if it's yeah, I think that's in there too. And there's also there's that interesting thing when he finally takes Hera's advice and gives her the sword. He immediately has a, a starts having the kind of conversation with her that you'd expect him to have with a Jedi about feelings and thoughts uh, going into the crystal. And sure, part of that is that they're no longer using sticks. But I think part of it is also that he's taken Hera's advice and you know is treating Sabine with a little more. Well, respect is a good approximation for what it is because it's complicated. But, um, yeah, just another nice moment there. And the cool thing about that scene is that it's not just respect for her. It's respect for the weapon, too. He's talking to her about how does the weapon feel in your hand? Can you feel the energy? Like, you know, asking her what she's feeling holding this. And just that whole sequence is so cool. I'm literally watching it right now as I'm talking. Um and you just cheater. her <laughs> I do this every time we do Rebel Yell I always have the episode <laughs> playing in the background um, it just her kind of coming to acceptance with the weapon also I thought was just a really neat sequence well and and it all culminates in that huge reveal of her backstory um, it, which is to me is really interesting because throughout with all these characters uh with the exception of maybe ezra we've just been kind of there have been hints dropped here and there little little nuggets dropped here and there that we build off of and build off of with sabine those little things have been dropped here and there and we've kind of built you know different things about her backstory often but all of a sudden it just comes flowing out in one of the most emotional moments of rebels that i think we've had to this point um, and, and, and in a situation where as I'm watching it, I didn't realize how connected to the character of Sabine I had become, um, because I was just like, oh my gosh, my heart kind of breaks for this girl, you know, knowing that it wasn't that she, uh, abandoned her family. It's that she left because they thought she had basically wiped them all out because she went and developed weapons for the empire. And she, you know, she they they encouraged her to use her skills in one way, and the Empire did what they do. They they just used her the way we've seen them use other people, i.e., a Galen Urso. And right. and I guess all that kind of coming together just really, I was just moved, really moved in that moment. I thought it was just a, a great emotional moment and an impactful moment, I should say, uh, like we've not quite seen on on Rebels to to this point. All right. Yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, no, and terrific I mean, work by uh, the actress, too. Um, you know, that, that cannot be easy uh, matching that. But, um, uh, you know, Tira Sirkar, I thought, did, did great work there. Um, I also will say I love, just, I love breaking things down from a, a storytelling perspective. And I, I thought that was a moment that made me think of something. That, you know, in the first season of the show, I think particularly after the, the literally galaxy-wide sweep of um, – Clone Wars that, that some fans got kind of impatient that we had, you know, this small cast on one planet, um, et cetera. But I think that 
you know, with an, with episodes like these, you're seeing the wisdom of that approach is that, you know, if we were um, bouncing between, you know, all these characters, very interesting paths and going you know, from Ryloth to Mandalore and all over the place, um, we would have kind of drowned in it. We mm-hmm. had to kind of get to, we had to get to know these characters as a, as an ensemble and get to get to really like them and get to be curious about them. We had to see them though on that small stage and really get to know them that way. And then, you know, once that work was done by the end of, of season one, you're you're really kind of exploding uh, the storytelling into Ahsoka and the Force and the Sith and you know everything else, and now the Mandalorians. And um, you know, it was an approach that that I think took a lot of patience, but one that I think is paying off here because now, you know, all these Mandalorian mysteries are here for us to have fun with. But you know, here I would argue at the right time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, after all that comes out, um, you know, it's a great way to kind of end because they all end up kneeling before Sabine and Kanan says this family will stand by you no matter what you choose. And we see that pour over into the next episode when Sabine meets her biological family, you know, or reconnects rather with her biological family. Um, They're on, I forget what that planet's called. It's not Mandalore they go to. What's, what's it is it's Kronos. Kronos. Okay. Kronos. 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 And I just I want to say this and 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 I don't and I know the trivia guide says that the Wren Mansion is influenced by Frank Lloyd Wright's prairie style architecture with a Mandalorian aesthetic. It was architecture of the big rock campus at Skywalker Ranch. Um I'm telling you, I saw that there's that one shot over that frozen lake to kind of that glass enclosure there of the Mandalorian mansion. And it looks to me, I'm like, that looks like straight out of the Godfather 2. <laughs> a little bit, Doesn't yeah. it look like Michael's house from Godfather 2 yeah. a little bit? So yep. there, there's your Godfather reference for the show, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, and so they show up, and of course, um, you know, it's not going to be a happy reunion, as you would hope it would be, <laughs> as one would think, um, right down to the fact that her mother's about to throw her in prison until Sabine whips out the Darksaber. And uh, we meet Sabine's brother, um, and... and is Tristan. It, Tristan, yeah. And is it her mom that actually calls Gar Saxon in? Yes. Yes. Thanks, Mom. Mom named after the uh, the female villain from Superman Two, Ursa. <laughs> <laughs> I keep I keep wanting to say where's Zod and Ursa. So this, <laughs> so whereas whereas the first part of these two episodes, the Trial of the Dark Saber, really played into the emotional and and the psychological aspect of things. This episode gives us all the action that we may have felt like we missed in that first part. Because not only from just a, you know, the fun little aspect of of Sabine and and Tristan doing their little sparring thing, but when Gar shows up, it was kind of, you know what it felt like and and I'm glad you brought up the Clone Wars episodes earlier, Jason, because it really felt like with everybody flying around and shooting, it felt like a mini version of what we saw in the Clone Wars. When when all heck broke loose on Mandalore, yeah. 
So and that, yeah, it, Mandalorians it, tend to uh, have fights in throne rooms where kind of everything <laughs> goes. <laughs> it was neat to be back there. Yeah, and and they kind of took to the they took to the air with it. I really dug this this part uh, of these two episodes because um, number one, I like for things to be resolved, but number two, I like the action of it all. I'm I'm just a sucker a sucker for the action of it all when when we get to this part jason what what were your thoughts of this part of this whole episode the second the second part of the two-parter um i mean i like i liked it of course i mean it's such fun to finally see sabine in in the situation she's left behind and see what shaped her both in terms of what she's like, but also, you know, what she's decided not to be like. Um, right. I thought both those things were equally important. Um, and just, you know, it, the thing that kept getting me though was, was the little details. And I'll, I'll, I'll pick two. Um, one is there's that great scene out on the balcony with her mother um, where it's really an exploration of how different they've become. And they're kind of arguing about it, but, at the same time, they're, you know, they, they have too much in common. That's part of the struggle. And then there's that great, really quiet moment where Sabine kind of exasperated, puts her arms down on the, uh, on the railing to think. And then her mother unconsciously does the exact same thing in the same posture. And it's just, I mean, it was just a perfect little smart moment um, showing how, how similar they all, they both are. And then also just pure filmmaking fun i love that moment in the end when um when um sabine and and gar saxon are about to throw down where they they cut to that that out exterior shot of the house mm-hmm. and nothing happens for a moment <laughs> then they come through the window <laughs> i mean it's it's self-indulgent but in a wonderful way i mean the the uh you know it's the director and the creative team just having so much fun just to hold it for that beat and then have them, you know, suddenly come through and be right in your face. But, you know, it's stuff like that that, that I just love. See, it's it's terrific when you see that people are having fun doing something. Eris, were you expecting a Batman Begins moment when they started their lightsaber, dark saber battle out on the ice? You remember in when when uh, Liam Neeson? The Batman Begins. Yeah, when Liam Neeson oh, and yeah. Christian Bell, he's like, "You've given up uh, sure footing for a." for a strong position or whatever he says and he hits the ice and bruce just goes through it's bananas i, I, I actually i hadn't even thought i i tried not to think of those christopher nolan oh batman really movies. i love batman begins uh, <laughs> i think batman begins is actually really good i was a little surprised that nobody either fell through the ice or slipped that was interesting but um it certainly added some tension to it. It did. I, I will say this: we we were we had a big discussion about the episode in the office yesterday, and uh, and, and one of my colleagues brought up a, a moment that that he that didn't sit well with him, um, and, and that's the end after after Sabine gets Gar to yield, she just turns her back and walks away from him. Hmm. And uh, I mean, which is uh, he brought it up? It's like one of the dumbest things that she possibly could have done. Yeah. And 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 I had to agree with him that I, I feel like that that's a moment that they missed. That 
you know, that's a moment that was kind of, especially at that point, a little out of character, maybe. Yes, I get what she's trying to do. She's, you know, this is who she's become, but she has left this guy with absolutely no choice but to kill her. And you're just going to turn your back on him? Like, that just, that, and I suggested that what they could have done was the lethal weapon ending. You know, where she goes to try and handcuff him and he like slips out, grabs her gun and then her mom has to shoot him. Mm. Like at at least she's trying to do something to try and restrain him. But to just simply turn your back and walk away from him. um, Just that was that was a moment missed. What do you think she underestimated his amount of honor Uh, or overestimated the amount of honor he has, Jason, in doing that? Like since he was defeated, he should have. She wouldn't expect him to attack her. Well, I, I agree with Arish and, and the um, the office conversation. I I, <laughs> I thought that was foolish. Particularly, she has to see that he has a sidearm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but you know, I I wanted that to be his uh, Saxon's Count Dooku <laughs> end moment, which would have been pretty vicious. So what do I know? There, there was that nice bit of imagery there, like you you certainly thought of the Anakin Count yes. Dooku moment. Yep. Yep, yeah, for sure. yeah, and I even said I was, I was like, "Do it!" Not quite in the palpable. <laughs> my my kid was annoyed with me, but yeah, I was Do like, it. I was like, "That's that's a bad guy. Just remove a head from him, and he'll be in no more trouble." Well, if I've learned but anything, I, if I've learned anything from the world of professional wrestling, it's that you never take your eye off your opponent. Yeah, you, there you go. When you're walking Especially, to the ring and you and you want to and you want to pose and everything in the corner and all. Make sure you keep your eye on your opponent while you're doing it. <laughs> Especially one that you have just taken everything from. Yep. Yeah. You know, here sure. was a guy who was the Emperor's hand, the leader of Mandalore, and you have literally just brought him to his knees. Well let's He's got he has got nothing now. He has not, he has no choice but to try and kill you. Was that when she referred to him as the Emperor's hand, is that the first time he's been referred to as the Emperor's hand? No, that goes back to the the Imperial Super Commandos episode. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't. I did. And this was the same guy, the, the same uh, writer, uh, Christopher Yost. Well, who wrote it, that Imperial Super Commandos episode. Then that the com- second part. Then that term completely got by me. Then because when I heard her say it in this episode, I'm like, well played, Rebels crew, to bring that because that was, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who wonder why that sticks out to me. Way back in the 90s when Timothy Zahn uh, brought us into the modern expanded universe, now Legends, uh, Mara Jade was the Emperor's Hand. Um, and so so Finn Rao was Mara Jade, not uh, Gar Saxon is Mara Jade. Well, but didn't he have multiple Emperor's Hands? Well, he had at least two. <laughs> uh, right in the left. Jason, do you, do you know, was it just... Was it just solely Mara, or I thought I remembered that he had more than one. And sorry, EU fans out there, you're wanting to kill me on this right I now. I do remember a revelation that did not sit well with Mara that there might be, uh, oh. might be more hand, even more hands than a, a normal bilaterally symmetrical biped might have. Good but you know, that's, it, it, that's, it's that's the way it reads. It's old palps covering his bases. A normally, yeah, yeah. a normally symmetrical. What a normally symmetrical. You've had one word between symmetrical and biped. Bilateral. Uh, I believe. Bilaterally symmetrical. Yeah. A bilaterally <laughs> symmetrical biped. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, but when he, I'll be honest with you guys, when they fooled me, they got me. Because when I heard the shot fire and I saw her face, I'm like, it never, I know that in movies it never works out that way, that the person whose face you're on is the one that's being shot and killed. But for a minute, I'm like, they're wiping out the ghost crew force. They're clearing the, they're, oh my God, Sabine's dead. And, uh, <laughs> and then it cut to her mom, of course, with the smoking gun. So I'm, I'm the loser in that sense. I got fooled. Uh, they, they got me on that one. It's, you know, it's funny you say that, though, because I think that, you know, that in a way is a, is a compliment to recent storytelling. I mean, if we hadn't all just been through Rogue One and even before then Force Awakens, you know, we might not have been so quick to think that. But now, you know, we see it as a possibility. I mean, sure enough, by the end of, of Rogue One, well, probably not a spoiler anymore, but, you know, everybody's <laughs> basically gone. Um, and, you Wait, know, we what? know... I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Sorry, um, you know, and we we know that a, that at least a couple of them survived from cameos in that movie, but we don't have the whole roster. So, you know, who knows? Um, yeah, the only two we're know, certain the only two we're certain of from that movie, as I understand it, is Chopper, who we see on screen, and Hera, yeah. who we hear called over the intercom yeah, as General exactly. So Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. No, but that's good. That's good. Yeah, well, sure, you know, when the sure. stakes are high like that, that's great. Yeah. I'm listen, I'm not I'm not complaining, but they really did. They in a moment where they I guess they shouldn't have had me fooled. They had me fooled. <laughs> but now, like the Who, I won't be fooled again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> um Anything else? What else? I don't really have anything else on these episodes. Eris, you got anything to to go to before we before we wrap her up? Well, I just think it it, it, it you know the end of the second episode where Sabine decides to stay behind. It, you know, it's when are we going to see her again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, will we see her again in Rebels? Um, Sabine is Snow. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Is that our theory for this week? Yeah, we'll go ahead and throw that Sabina out there. Sabina Snoke. Snoke, yeah. All right, Jason. Every week we ba- every episode we basically have to come up with a new someone is Snoke theory. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> no, I think it's Tristan is Snoke. Mm, Tristan is Snoke. I don't know. I'll go ahead. And, I want to put this theory out there publicly. I witnessed it via text message, uh, but my friend Derek, who uh, co-hosts a few podcasts with me. Um, sent me a text and asked if uh, if uh, oh my lanta uh, Benicio del Toro's name has been his character's been revealed for uh, the last Jedi and I told him no not at this point I said he says he's a bad guy and um, and Derek says that he thinks he's Ezra so that theory's out there and I told him I'd, I hadn't seen anyone else say that and so I told him I'd be a witness to Benicio del Toro as playing Ezra but I'll just put that out there for everyone so we have it in uh in in a dated form, as it were. Um <laughs> so but no, yeah, I, I Sabine is Ezra. We won't see her again. I mean Sabina Snoke. We won't and bless Ezra's heart. What who's he gonna crush on now? I don't know. Poor little Ezra. Bendu? Oh, we forgot we forgot the best cup of coffee cameo so far. <laughs> My boy Bendu shows up. 
shows up and just kind of looks over his shoulder. Just kind of looks and be like, why are you sitting on me? Like that little <laughs> Battlestar Galactica robot looking thing that pokes his head out at BB-8 yeah. and The Force Awakens. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, the yeah, vacuum cleaner cool. thing, yeah. Wow. The red glowy vacuum cleaner eyes, so. And, and I, yeah. was, I, I was so happy. I was just like, please, I need Bendu in this episode, so. He's kind of like a giant Waldo. Yeah. A giant Waldo. <laughs> Good Where's Bendu? Bendu is my favorite character on the show this season. I just I love that character. Such is the way of things. I, I think he's been peppered in at the right amount. I, I think that if we were getting him every episode this season, oh, yeah. it'd be a little yeah, much. Totally but yeah, agree. he's definitely he's definitely coming. I tell you who I miss. I'm missing a little bit of Rex. Um and uh and i'm ready you know what i'm ready for i'm ready for the crew just to go have an adventure together uh of course now without sabine but i'm i am kind of ready to see them together again i love those moments when they're in the in the ghost and and doing their thing and and all kind of working together it's they have such a good dynamic in between that whole crew uh that it's 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 really interesting do you think ezra will try to take sabine's quarters now he's happy with the zone i thought he was but he's bunking with zeb isn't he is he yeah he and zeb were yeah. bunk mates no. yeah oh, okay yeah well, that yeah, makes sense I'll try and take yeah i don't know i i get a headache in sabine's quarters there's too much art all over the place well he can paint he can paint <laughs> over like, all that mess it's like a technicolor dream coat in there mm-hmm. it's like the technicolor dream coat threw up <laughs> <laughs> We're getting down to it. There's only, I think, five, six episodes left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if it's a 20, I don't know. Is it a 22-episode season? I'm not sure, but... It might be, yeah. <clears throat> it, they're going to come fast and furious at yeah. us now. This next episode coming up, uh, I can't think of the title, but the, the preview they showed on the Rebels Recon was pretty cool, something we never really seen in Star Wars before, the first-person view yeah, um, it reminded me of like Doom. Yeah, for sure. Or for or to keep it in the family, uh, Dark Forces. There you go. Um, but yeah, and, and it, it looks like it's going to be a Thrawn heavy episode too. It looks like uh, there's a Rebel spy about to be outed amongst the Empire. Could be um, uh, Fulcrum. Yeah, the well, and uh, we're going to get the return of now Colonel Yularen is going to be showing up as voiced by Tom Kane. Um, So he's going to be in that episode and uh, interacting with Grand Admiral Thrawn and our boy Agent Callus. So um, looking forward to Maui Mark says titles on remaining episodes have been released. I've not seen that. Uh, So let me see real quickly, guys. Sorry to do this on the fly. It's called the Fulcrum Trap. Really? Yeah, this next one that's coming oh, up. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, through Imperial Eyes. That's what I thought uh, D. Goots called it. Yeah, yeah, Through Imperial Eyes. All right. So that's uh, so it's going to be at least a callous-heavy episode. Um, and, they're, and, they're, and so the, the episode description says... The Rebels attempt to save a Rebel spy, fearing their identity will be unveiled by the Empire. So this is going to be one of those extraction moments. Is this like? Is this going to be like the Wedge episode? Are we going to get to see Tie Fighter wings pop off again? 
Maybe. Maybe. Yes. I'm all about it. I'm all about the I'm all about the Kenner shout outs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. All about the Kenner shout outs. We also have coming up after that uh, Secret Cargo, Double Agent Droid, then Twin Sons. Um, Ooh, I wonder what episode that's going to be. Uh, it's going to be the penultimate episode because then Zero Hour is the next episode after that. So um, it's funny because there's episode descriptions for all those others on IMDb here, and it says Twin Sons. Know what this one is about? <laughs> be the first one to add a plot. How about this? Twin Sons. Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul, ladies and gentlemen. Let the fight, uh, throw your, cast your bets now. Let's get in there. Um, well, yeah, so that's all, that's all we got. Uh, Arish, any final thoughts on these episodes? Just two solid episodes. Really solid. Agreed. And, uh, I, I'm excited to see, as always, I'm excited to see what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jason, we thank you for being on, man. Any any final episode? Any final episodes? Any final thoughts about these episodes? You know, you give me the dark saber in in any form of storytelling, and I'm pretty happy. So great to see it, and excited to see where the show goes next. Agreed, agreed, a hundred percent. Anything you want to plug coming up, Jason? I know we talked about next week. Uh, you've got a release coming out here, I believe. Yeah, you know, this is the kind of thing a, an author in good conscience shouldn't say, but I had forgotten about that. So that's, that's actually fine. very that's exciting. Fine. Hey, I've got a book coming out next week. Um, yeah, the Darth Maul, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's part of the Scholastic Backstories. Uh, did I say Darth Maul? Darth Vader. Darth um, Vader, Darth yes. Darth Vader. Yeah, Darth Vader, of course. Uh, part of the Scholastic Backstories series. Um, there's a, a terrific one already in there about Princess Leia. Um, but, you know, going into the mind of Darth Vader and looking at his history and doing a little first person, uh, Vader account was terrific. And, um, I can't wait to see it and, 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 uh, have it out there and see what people think of it. Now the Scholastic, I was a kid who we were on some kind of program where we got scholastic books like. Uh, at my house, like once a month, it seemed like, and we have all these great. And there was one that was actually Return of the Jedi um, adaptation that was done for Scholastic back in the day, and uh, so Scholastic has a has a warm place in my heart. But um, but so look for hey, that. Be- Go ahead, Eric. Before before you crack the Ewoks, uh, Jason, give give us a, a little uh, little info on your Jupiter Pirates series. Oh yeah, let's yeah. This is oh, a fantastic yeah, series of books that is not Star Wars, but I think Star Wars fans would love to read. Yeah, as I as I say with Jupiter Pirates, as you would expect from someone who saw the original Star Wars at 8 years old, um, it's not Star Wars, but it's got some Star Wars DNA. It's um it's about a family of space pirates in the 29th century and the they uh, have the family starship, and the mother is the captain, the father is the first mate, and the three kids are midshipmen. And what really makes the series work, I think, is that the kids um, have to help each other. They have to cooperate to keep each other alive in the family business, but they're also competitors. Um, the captaincy of the ship gets handed down from one generation to the next, and only one of the kids can be the next captain. 
So like all siblings everywhere, you know, they have to work together, but they're also um, after the same prize and only one of them uh, can, ob- can obtain it. So, yeah, the first three books, uh, most recent one is uh, The Rise of Earth, are out. Uh, there will be more in the future. Looks like two more, maybe three. Um, and if folks want to know more, they can uh, come by jupiterpirates.com and learn a whole bunch more. That's jupiterpirates.com. Find out about that uh, fan- that sci-fi fantasy saga. Pick up all of Jason's books wherever fine books are sold. If you use the Amazon links, you find it at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. You certainly help these shows out, and you help Jason out. So help us all out. Look at that. If you buy the Star Wars stuff, you're helping Arish out in a way. So help us all out. Use those Amazon links <laughs> and buy a bunch of books. It'll be fun for you, for us, the, for everybody. The, the ironic thing is that none of the Star Wars books we talked about are the Del Rey. I didn't include the Del oh. Rey books on the list. Well, give me... Is there one Del Rey book that you can think of off the top of your head? Oh, with Jason? Yeah. We, well, Jason brought up the Essential Atlas, which the All two right. of us worked on together. Yes. Along with Dan Perfect. Wallace. And then... Uh, Jason and I also worked on the Essential Guide to Warfare. There's uh, a, a, a good meaty history of the Mandalorians in uh, Warfare, too. All right. Yeah, just so, that, that, that was a lot of fun. So Two fantastic recommendations. And, of course, right now on Bookshelf's Irish is uh, Aftermath Empire's End is, is there. Star Wars Aftermath Empire's End is out. Yep, and just went on sale yesterday. So the, the and, third book in Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy, and it's been making some and it's been making some spoilerific news. There is a lot of coolness in there, and I mean, look, the the Battle of Jakku is front and center in this book. So there's a, 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 I, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to spoil stuff. I mean, look, there's spoilers out there on the interwebs already, but it's just a lot of fun. So yeah, it's a terrific read. I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, folks should go go pick it up. It's a lot of fun, and it's full of surprises. So here's what, what you, you want to do. Star Wars. Here's what you want to do. You want to go to geekoutonline.com or geekoutpodcast.com. Click the Amazon link, and then search for uh, Jason Fry's work, particularly the Jupiter uh, Pirates series, and then look for the Atlas, the Star Wars Complete Atlas. Look for the Essential Guide to War- Warfare. And yep. um, also look for Aftermath, Empire's End, and purchase all of those things. Help us all out. <laughs> so there we go. Fixed. <laughs> Plug fixed. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Arish, once again, thank you, brother, for all the work you do and for, for connecting Jason to the show here. It's been a good episode. My pleasure. Jason? I, I, loved, I love doing these pods with you guys. Jason, thank you, sir, for being a part of this. We have enjoyed having you on, my friend. Oh, thank you. I had so much fun. It's really kind of you to have me on. Anytime, man. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, Until then, for Ayers, for Jason, until next time, I'm Steve Glosson. We'll see you on the next Rebel Yell, everybody. Double 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 double